I think the tech space, because it is so SEO and so sort of tech product focused, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult to break through. Why are you beating gaming channels at their at their own game, so to speak? <laughs> What made you flip the switch? What made you officially need a number two? The message to all the kids right now is that bullying changes lives, dot, 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 <laughs> for the better. If I'm posting content and I don't care, something is very wrong. Isaac needs to know when the Austin Evans underwear is coming. <laughs> I can't believe we're we... never having him back. <laughs> I know. I can't believe we allowed a, a rival <laughs> podcast to be our sponsor. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. This is the home of Make Something Mean Something. We are live on Discord with our patrons, as always, our dumpster crew, our $2 tots, our infantry, our baby gang, our super elite mutated Uber baby gang as well. And um, with me, as always, is Matthew Tabor, who's going to introduce our guest. Yeah, this episode may not have the traditional traditional stay in school message that parents look for uh because after a after a fight with a playground bully our guest was permanently yanked from the classroom uh and that's when his creative drive took center stage uh the homeschooled teen devoted his time to writing stories and when youtube came along he never looked back Hey guys, this is Austin Evans introduces one of the world's most successful technology reviewers. He's got nearly 5 million subscribers, uh, over a billion views, billion with a B from people who are interested in his takes on tech because they trust him and they trust his judgment. He's gone from spilling the specs on iPhones and PSPs in his childhood bedroom to building his own tech review empire and even launching a second channel called This Is. Though Austin has developed with, uh, partnerships with companies like Microsoft and Toyota, uh, these are not insignificant brands. He brings a humanizing touch of self-deprecating humor to an often overly serious world of reviewing smartphones and PCs. So Austin, it's been a long, strange road from the beginning to now. Has it been worth it? Oh, I, can I just say thank you for that amazing intro? Yeah, of course it's been worth it. I mean, look, I started making content, as you so eloquently put, when I was 16, or at least when I started creating the main channel. I've done a lot of stuff beforehand, like you said, with like writing and whatnot. But since starting that channel, it's been coming up on 12 years now, and my life has been completely changed, right? I mean, I, I think back to those early days of just being in the bedroom and cranking content out. I think it's something that a lot of creators can kind of empathize with, right? Because, I mean, you know, you always have to get your start somewhere. And it's like, I think back on those fond days of like, you know, sitting down, hitting the record button on the camera, talking about some rumor about some Motorola phone or whatever, hitting the stop button, taking the SD card, 
put straight in the laptop, upload to YouTube. No editing, nothing, just straight to straight to straight to being online. And I think about how far things have come. And it's just it's nice to see that things have been so I don't say smooth, but like it, it's nice to see the progression over the years and kind of to look back and go, hey, look, I made some cool stuff once, at least once, maybe twice. It's so funny with YouTube because unless a creator hides their old videos, which I guess does happen, you can go back and just watch the evolution of someone. And, and you, can, you could never do that before, really, um, with, yeah. with, you know, different entertainers because uh, before some artists got a record deal, you never really heard what the heck they were doing in their bedroom. But guess what? You can watch what... Oh, what Austin was doing in his bedroom 12 years ago. And it was like grainy uh, stock footage of a PSP Go with uh, like like an unsure, mumbly Austin with like overblown, blown out, awful audio just talking about, you know, this tech device. And now here you are so many years later, like you've developed your your brand, you've developed your, your hosting abilities, you've developed your, your company. And, um, that's such a rare, valuable thing. I think for, for people starting today to be able to just go to YouTube, click on videos, sort by oldest to newest and see where somebody that you might want to model yourself after today got their start. Yeah. I I think that's a really important point because it's like, it's, I look back on some of those old videos. And I'm like, ah, maybe I shouldn't have made that one or whatever. But like at the end of the day, everything you do leads you to the point where you are today. Right. I mean, it's like I wouldn't have started on iPhone stuff if I didn't get that first iPod touch and make that application review number one. Right. I mean, to me, it's nice to be able to look at other people's journeys. Like I, I think about people like like Marquez, like he made a hundred and something videos and then he finally hit a thousand subscribers. Like I think it's it's easy to look at someone who has reached some level of success and think, oh, of course, you know, they were able to just do it, blah, 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 whatever. They got lucky. But then when you go back through and see how people get their start who have gotten success today and you see the level of work that was required to get any kind of foothold, I think it's a really encouraging thing because it's like everyone's so used to, oh, I'm going to make, you know, a, a stream on Twitch for a couple of weeks and I'm obviously going to make it my a full-time job or whatever. And I think most people kind of have a good idea that that's not particularly feasible, but it's a difference between like, oh, am I going to do this for a couple of weeks versus a couple of months versus a couple of years versus even longer, even to get some kind of success. So yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I like thinking back on all those those early projects that I did and, and, and where they have landed now and how they have aged or have not waged well. <laughs> Is there one that jumps out that, that makes you cringe? Oh, God. Well, I mean, everything about those early videos makes me cringe. I mean, I... So uh, YouTube was actually interesting because it kind of helped me grow up in a lot of ways. Um, so, I mean, when I first started making videos, I had like long shoulder length curly hair. Um, I did not know how to dress at all. I had these like huge oversized shirts that I borrowed from my dad. I had, had like this, uh, like this lisp and this like very thick accent, um, which it, it's one of those things where the comments as mean and as sort of 
However, you know, comments are comments, but a lot of that stuff really helped me to kind of refine the things that we were doing that obviously needed help and the things that worked, right? So sort of getting those comments for literally the first few years of like, hey, you know, your voice sounds funny or whatever. Uh, that that was helpful for me in kind of realizing that I need to focus on that to kind of be a better presenter or, you know, people commenting on the video quality or commenting on my 2009 clickbait titles or whatever the case is. But all that was really important in building up the, the skill set. Because when I first started, I didn't know anything, right? I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know how to shoot. I didn't know how to present. I didn't know anything. I had just watched some tech content, which was very early in those in those days. And so the ability for me to have the luxury of spending those first few years, just getting my feet underneath me and understanding what was going on at the same time that the platform was beginning, right? If I started out making those kind of videos today, I would never have made it anywhere. But because the platform was coming up at the time, a lot of those, those things that would be completely shredded today were sort of like, understood and everyone was kind of okay with that because it's like no one was really doing anything to any kind of crazy high level that is completely pervasive throughout the platform today. So it's it was nice to kind of come up and I really do think was kind of like the right time in YouTube's history. I want to bring up a thing that I saw the other day and shoot it to both of you, okay? And and I'm going to stumble from the beginning through this because I'm desperately trying to find it on LinkedIn, okay? Uh, somebody... Yeah, somebody shared a thing uh, that that uh, had some stats about early YouTube, uh, saying that at in two thousand eight or something, the average video had uh, thirteen hundred views or something like that, uh, and just a few, you know, four or five years after that, the average video had eighty views. You know, just starting to uh, show that the prolifer prol- uh, the proliferation of content made it that much harder to stand out. Their argument was it's good to get in early, you know, yes. and uh, right now I'm talking to two guys who got in early. They built up something big. They're still around. That's awesome. But there are a lot of people who got in early and they're gone. Uh, there are a lot of people who got in early, blew up and then flatlined. Dax Flame was one of those. He explained it in the the iDubs Ice Cream Man documentary that at one time he had 130,000 subscribers and was something like 15th most subscribed on YouTube. Well, 10 years later, he had 150,000 or something. So uh, anyway, the the analysis was great to get in early. You got to do this. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking there is no way that I would choose to start a channel in 2007 versus 2020. I would much rather start it now because even though there are tons and tons of people out there, it's easier to find a niche now. It's easier to decide what you, how, how you want to do what you do. Uh, I think it's easier to build a community. And is there any merit to that? Like if you had to choose starting now versus starting when you did, uh, would you want it to play out the same way it did? I mean, I know it's weird because both of you have tremendous success. <laughs> A little bit biased. It's hard to complain. Uh, I don't know how you feel, Kevin. I mean, I to me, I think it was a clearly it was it's a clear advantage starting back in the early days. I think today, if you get started, there's just a higher bar to entry. I agree that there's so much more audience there. So many more things are much more well-respected. I mean, I remember those early days of when I first got those, you know, couple AdSense checks at the, you know, at the beginning of my career, 
people didn't even know necessarily what YouTube was. A lot of like my neighbors and people, they just weren't even familiar with the site yet. There were definitely advantages that I took sort of full advantage of in making a lot of those early videos that would not have held water at all today because the bar to entry and sort of the overall level of content, even from creators who are just getting started, is just so far beyond anything I could have remotely tried to attain in those early days. That being said, I mean, I think there's still plenty of examples of content creators who have started recently or have blown up in the last, you know, couple years, three years or whatever. And I think if you know what you're doing and if you already have the talent, and the experience, you can absolutely take off and blow up in a big way today. But I would say that the people who are coming into this with a lot of experience and already knowing what they're doing are very few and far between and are likely people who already have a platform on some other, uh, you know, content place, whether it's TikTok or whatever the case is. So I don't know, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, I would I would go on TikTok before I would go on YouTube yeah. uh, if I were starting today, for sure. I just think it's easier to get traction on TikTok than it is right now on YouTube. Um, but I, I agree in some respects, Matt, with your perspective on it. And I definitely strongly disagree in others. The The elements that I strongly disagree on it are that I feel like... Um, um, I'm totally blanking. It's like there, there are some like early adopters reward that you get for being kind of like the first in a space that is impossible almost like virtually impossible to overcome later, I think. And I don't think that's just YouTube. Yeah. I think that's music. You know, I think that's movies. I think that's anything. When somebody breaks onto the scene, there's like, this force, whether it's like the Beatles and all of a sudden you have like some splinter groups that like form around the Beatles, like the Rolling Stones go along and the Yardbirds and the Beach Boys, whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, shout out to uh, to all the Yardbirds fans. Uh, <laughs> exactly. In, in the this. chat and subscribing. I know. I'm trying to think. Okay, so let's use Nicki Minaj. Okay, Nicki Minaj comes onto the scene, and then all of a sudden you have Cardi B. Does Cardi B exist without Nicki Minaj? Probably not. But still, like, Nicki Minaj is, like, way up there, and then you have Cardi B, and then you have, like, a bunch of people trying to be those two, um, and they'll never get higher than them. Is any of is anything that I'm saying making sense at all? <laughs> I, no. I get it. Yeah. I think it's a blessing and curse uh, with both uh, with the cases that both of you have made that coming in early is a is amazing in some ways. It does come with some serious baggage. You two have handled that baggage extremely well and ditched it at certain points. You know, you've made the moves with your content that that worked. You know, we talked to Glozell a few weeks back and she did a certain thing very early. She had tremendous success with it. Uh, then when she had to change that, a lot of, a lot of her audience is like, wait, no, you do this stuff. That's why I like you. You've done it for eight years. Uh, you know, you're almost not allowed to do, to do some of the new stuff. And so she had to reinvent and rebuild and it's going pretty well. Uh, but, but that's baggage that somebody new doesn't have to deal with. If I start a channel tomorrow, huh, I, I can do whatever and I'm going to sink or swim. But I'm not going to, you know, I won't have any of those advantages of being in that first wave of early adoption, but I won't have any of the baggage either. And I may just be uh, averse, you know, I, I, I may be 
kind of risk averse to that stuff. And so it appeals to me to come in fresh. Uh, and I care less about the advantages than missing the disadvantages. Sure. I think it makes sense. I, I think it's like it's a tricky thing because it's like hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? You know exactly what you did right, what you did wrong, what you would do differently in the future. I just, I do think that there's a major advantage in coming in early to any platform. I, I think that there is just sort of like that built in, I guess I'm saying like there's like a built in thing there that can help you grow because you have that. But on the flip side, I think the Glozell example is an excellent one because it's easy to get sort of pigeonholed into a specific type of content. And it is very difficult to break out of that. I think we both have a, a big advantage in that our content is not necessarily aimed at a demographic who ages out. It's not necessarily aimed at a, a gimmick or anything like that. Like it's a little bit more broad based and sort of stands the test of time a little bit better. People are always going to need a new phone. People are always going to want to know the latest information on whatever. <laughs> I was about to say whatever science fact you've got, but I think that <laughs> that might not be the, the greatest way. Like, hello, I'm science man. But like, like some of these sort of topics hold up better. But I also think that like when you think about how audiences evolve, you can't sit still either. And I think that's where the big disconnect is between people who got in early and had that first mover advantage and then lost it because they were too locked into a specific type of content or whatever it is and didn't evolve with the times. And I think if you get to a point where you're making the same thing and your audience has pretty much locked you into only making that thing, at a certain point, everyone's going to get tired of it, right? I mean, look, I bet that there are a tiny, tiny amount of people who have watched my channel for even more than a couple years, right? I think a lot of people come, you watch for a little while, you move on. I think that's a constant flow. And if you don't keep that constant flow up and evolve with it, I think it is so easy to drown underneath that just tidal wave of new content that is coming around all the time. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I want to bring it back for a second with this idea of like the early adopters. Because when I think of your world, the tech world, I think of the same handful of people, and maybe that's just because I'm not super familiar with the tech world. That's why I want to throw it to you. But when I think of tech reviews, you know, I think of you, Jerry Rig Everything, Marquez, uh, Lou, uh, Justine, um, your average consumer, and I don't know who I'm forgetting. Maybe maybe it's because I'm not forgetting, and those are the people that I think of. So. Am I right that there are like six to maybe 10 people who seem to dominate um, or am I just if I, am I just like ignorant to the, the people I don't know about in that space? I mean, there's certainly a lot of great creators in the tech space, but I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I think that there's definitely a group of us who have basically dominated the space for years, right? I think of people like Zach, Jerry, everything. I think about people like Dave 2D. They're a couple of the more recent sort of successes. And even then, they've both been making videos for well, probably four or five years now, at least. And a lot of the the rest of us have been at it for, you know, seven to 12, 13 years in Justine's case. So I, I do think there's definitely a level of lock-in in the tech space because I, I, I think tech might be a little different than a lot of the other verticals on YouTube just because so much of it is product-focused. And if Marquez makes a video on the new iPhone, 
people are going to watch his video on the new iPhone. If I create a new channel and I start making iPhone videos, I'm not going to be able to compete with Marquez in any way, shape, or form, right? You're just going to get completely drowned out. So I think the tech space, because it is so SEO and so sort of tech product focused, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult to break through. And when you look at the people like Zach and like Dave who have broken through, they've both done it with a very unique style, right? Zach absolutely completely changed the game on like teardown and destruction videos where before it was way more of a spectacle and people would be doing crazy stuff. And that was fun, but that was one of the gimmicks that kind of wore off fairly quickly, right? Whereas Zach turned it into a formula. He, you know, he dissects things in a very particular way, but he does it. There's like, there's something about his videos that makes it very hard to look away. He has that sort of whatever it is that makes it sort of interesting. He has that down and he has the format exactly down. Dave is a similar kind of boat where he does a little bit more of a traditional video, but Dave is such an incredible speaker. He gets up, he hits the record button and you know that he talks for seven minutes, doesn't cut out a second and that's the video, right? And he has such like sort of insightful thoughts. So in the tech space, I would 100% agree. Like it is, there are a lot of great creators and a lot of people who have come up. But if you talk about the people who are going to be on number one in search and who are going to you know, be on sort of the, the top of it, there's been very little sort of turnover. It has been a pretty stable space, which, I mean, certainly for me, I'll be completely selfish and say that that's uh, certainly had been hel- uh, very, very helpful because there's tons of these kids who come up and make way better videos than I do. But on the flip side, there's definitely that level of evolution that is required to make sure that you're not drowned out by all the other people, right? Because everyone's always competing to be first with the iPhone or first with the PS5 or whatever the case is. And so it's like a constant arms race. And it's, I don't know, it's it's a fun challenge. I don't think I would enjoy what I do as much if it was just show up, make a video, go home, take a nap. Like it, it you've got to kind of be creatively fulfilled to to be doing this for this long. I'm glad you brought up gaming because I want to ask you, Uh, You do a lot of gaming videos these days, a lot of Xbox videos, some PS5 videos. You're not a gaming channel. You're a tech channel. So why are you crushing it? Like, why are you beating gaming channels at their at their own game, so to speak? (laughs) I don't get it. Like, what are you what? how How are you doing that? It's crazy. So I think the main advantage that we have is that I have the consumer tech background. Right. I think someone who is a gaming channel, uh, probably has a decent level of technical knowledge, but I don't think a gaming channel is necessarily equipped to do a PlayStation 5 controller teardown, right? Or be able to break the news on some new Xbox or whatever the case is. I think that's where the way I treat it, it's just like every other piece of tech that sort of hits my review table, right? You know, the way I would attack a phone or a laptop or building a gaming PC is a very similar way that I would approach something like a PS5 or an Xbox Series X. So for me, I mean, the consoles are obviously a very big scale sort of thing. I mean, I think the PS5 is pretty clearly the most popular piece of technology of 2020 and hype and and pretty much every metric sort of just there's so much behind it. But the consoles come out every six, seven, eight years, right? Like so the last console cycle, I mean, the entire time I've been making my channel, I've lived through one and a half console cycles, right? So it's one of those things that comes around very rarely. Exactly. And so For me, I mean, this is something I planned on for literally the last like two years, right? Ever since those first rumors started coming out, coming up with like a content strategy of trying to 
think of all the different video ideas, making sure that we were executing them well, being ready to jump on like the news and being able to forge relationships with companies such as Microsoft, be able to try to get early access to things. I mean, it's been a major sort of focus for us for a while. And now that we're pretty much here and, you know, in the next, I guess tomorrow the PS5 comes out and that's sort of the end of it. It feels good to look back and think that we were able to, to capitalize it and get a bunch of our most popular videos ever this year on the, the Xbox and the PlayStation. Yeah. What it, what it, what is it like with, you know, I know that you, you seem to put out a lot of videos. I mean, it takes Matt and I a long time to put out videos <laughs> on Vsauce yeah. too, as everybody yeah. who listens to this podcast is well aware of. Um, More like Vsauce two videos a year. Yes. That's what the, <laughs> that's what the two stands for. <laughs> you get two two a year. It's a biannual event. Well, Jake needs to step it up then, because I don't think he's at three videos a year right now. No, uh, he's minus three. He deletes three videos from his back catalog every year. Um, but you, you know, you mentioned that you you know you're working with with your team. What is what is your team? How how many people are on your team? And and how are you able to put out? It seems a little bit all over the place. I was looking at the channel. It seems like some some weeks you put out two videos, but some weeks you put out four. Um, yeah. So what's what is your what is your process like from the on the content creation and your uploads and stuff? So for a while, we were very focused on the upload schedule, right? I mean, if you ever go to any kind of YouTube function, they're like, oh, get a schedule, post every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Yeah. or whatever the case is, right? And for a while, I was very focused on that. And so whatever I needed to do to hit my two uploads a week, and then for a while, it was three uploads a week, I did, right? But the thing is, with the way that the algorithm is today, I would much rather not post a mediocre video than post like just it just it hurts the momentum of the channel too much and I spend way too much time thinking and trying to build up sort of those impressions and what I'm able to kind of get the channel the the scale to to be to focus too much on the amount of videos that we produce right so you're right uh two to four is usually where we're at there's some weeks where we make one um but for me, I'm way more focused on how do I make sure each video either is a banger and does well, has a shot of doing well, or is a video that I need to post for some other reason, right? Whether it's a sponsor obligation, whether it's something that I want to do to maintain a relationship with a company, whether it's just something that I want to do for my own personal interest, right? I make a lot of videos that I knowingly realized will not perform well, but it's something that either it's really interesting to me or because I want to have some kind of voice in that space and maybe I'm setting up for future content or whatever. But there's a lot of thought that goes into the upload frequency, the upload schedule, what kind of products we cover, because I, I think this is applicable to YouTube overall. But in the tech space, there are so many sort of subcategories that don't share audience at all, right? If you're an Android fan, you don't care about that new iPhone unless you're going to give it the hate click, right? If you're a PlayStation fan, you might not care about the PS5. If you like building gaming PCs, you definitely don't care about the Switch, right? I mean, these are obviously gross generalizations, but like there's a real advantage in being hyper-focused on a specific type of product or a specific brand. I think an, an Apple channel is a really great example of that, that, you know, if you're making exclusive Apple content, something like everything Apple Pro does a great job of, if you really focus on that, you can build a very large audience, but you also are constrained to that audience because as you know, like the Glozell example, again, is a great sort of, sort of example of that. People are going to riot if you are everything Apple Pro when you start reviewing Pixels or you start doing PS5 
private yeah. is, right? Because that's not what they've signed up for. So we've always kind of been a little bit more broad in the, the content we cover. And I know that if I wanted to maximize the size and the scale of the channel, I would cut half the videos we make and completely focus on things like the PS5 or completely focus on trying to own the game PC, gaming PC space or whatever the case is. But for me, it's always done well to make a channel which is a little bit more broad-based and that sure people may dip in and out of the channel and you know may maybe people will bail for six months and come back and watch a couple of the videos they missed or maybe they like mystery tech or whatever the case is but to me it's worked well for this long i don't really want to rock the boat and hyper focus on something which would be good in the short term but might crash and burn spectacularly in the long term mm -hmm. but uh as far as the staff uh we've got six people so not a not a huge staff by any means. We've got um, a few editors. We have uh, people and everyone else is pretty much on production or in building sets and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, we have a good team. Um, I started building about four and a half, five years ago when we expanded the company, turned it into a real, actual, legitimate company. Um, and it's been super helpful, right? I, I look back on that and it's like, if you get to the point where, like, I know everyone loves to like, you know, pretty much every YouTuber starts out by themselves. So I guess the vast majority do, right? And that's something that there's real power in learning to do everything yourself. But the thing is, I can be okay or good at everything, but I can't be great at editing if I'm also trying to be great at hosting. I'm trying to be great at sending invoices. And I'm you know, like, there's so many different elements of this. You look at like a traditional TV show or network or whatever the case is. I mean, there's literally dozens or hundreds of people each with various different departments and whatnot. And when you are a YouTuber or you're a new media content creator, you kind of by default have to do everything, but there's no way you can be excellent at them all, right? So as I've had the fortunate opportunity to be able to build the team, part of that has been picking people who are better at me, better than me at a lot of these different jobs to help elevate everything. And that frees me up to focus more on trying to be a better host, trying to be better with the, the business relationships, whatever the case is that I know that I'm good at and the things like editing and the things like shooting, I can kind of pass off to other people. So that's, that's I guess, a very, very long answer to uh, what my process is. <laughs> Let's make it longer, though. Love it. Uh, what did what what made you flip the switch? Like, w was there a thing that made you decide? Yeah, right now, I'm I'm going okay on my own. I know how to do all these basic things. But what made you officially need a number two? Oh man, I mean, it was years years later than I should have. Um, I don't know. It wasn't like a a eureka moment where I'm just like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? I mean, it was clear that, I mean, the the template had been laid by a lot of other creators. I think Linus uh, is definitely one of my main, uh, the people who I've really kind of modeled a lot of the way I run my channel and I run my business after. Um, yeah, it was one of those things where I knew, I knew for a while, right? And the channel, I mean, after the first four or five years was really big enough to sustain at least like a small staff. But for me, I was stubborn. I had always done everything myself. I thought that I was the best, or at least I thought I knew better than anyone else I could bring in. And I was like, ah, and you have to train people and you have to pay them. Like at that point, I had been completely free to do whatever the hell I wanted, right? Which was great, right? I mean, I love being able to do, it literally it was accountable to no one and, you know, have fun. But at a certain point, I don't, I never burned out, but 
there was a period of time of, you know, a year and a half, two years where like I was a hermit, right? Like I would go, you know, live in my apartment 24 seven surface for Taco Bell every couple days and then go, <laughs> go travel and do a bunch of events or whatever and come back. And like, it was just, it was not sustainable. I look back on that period and I mean, that was where the channel grew the most. That was where I did a ton of great collaborations. I, you know, formed a bunch of friendships. I, Definitely made a lot of like my favorite videos up until that point during that period, but I could not have sustained that for much longer, right? So yeah, it's just, I moved to California. I used to be based in Missouri where I had an apartment all to myself and no one within a very long, a very wide radius who was remotely interested in the kind of content I was creating. So it was just me cranking. But when I moved to California, I did that with the very clear intention that I wanted to expand. I wanted to spend more time with other creators. I wanted to widen my horizons and have a much better sense for where this could go from, you know, me being in my bedroom all day to actually building a real business and trying to do things I hadn't done and kind of scratch that creative itch that just hadn't been fulfilled to that point. And is that how you guys met? See, I, I, I can't remember how the two of you started talking because it wasn't, it certainly wasn't recently, was it? No. No. Actually, uh, I met I you through remember. Jake at VidCon like a million years oh, ago. Oh, yes. You were, hang, you were hanging out with us at VidCon. I don't was, know. That was a long time ago. That was five or six years ago. Was that the time that you guys all got in the Escalade and they wouldn't let me backstage and then I had to just be sad and you guys all went up to do your super cool panel? I think I remember that. Yes, that is <laughs> <laughs> what happened. Wait, come on. You got to tell this. Wait, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Let, me, let me tell this story. Okay, so these fancy Vsauce guys are all hanging out. So I came over to just say hi to Jake and it was, yeah, it was the first time I met you. I think it was the first time I had met Michael. And that was back in the time where I'm just chilling at VidCon. You know, I've got like my, my little community badge and I'm just like walking around. And so they had this ridiculous setup where to get from a panel to like, I don't know, it was a green room or whatever the case was, you basically would walk downstairs and like through this little like back area, jump in like an Escalade. They would drive you around the block and then drop you off at like the front of the building or whatever. And so I was like, oh, this is cool. This feels like, you know, whatever. And then <laughs> I got I jump out of the Escalade <laughs> with you guys, walk into where you guys were doing the, 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 the panel and the security guard's like, community badge, get out of here. I was like, Oh, and then, like Jake was trying to like get me back there and everything. He's like, nah, not happening. So I just walked away sad. I was like, oh, I've got the cool, happy life. Oh, oh, wait, no, I'm not as cool as these guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was so ridiculous. So that's still so one of the most sorry. ridiculous, like, like backstage VIP things I've ever seen. I'm just like, <laughs> just driving around the block just to go to the other side of the building so you wouldn't be mobbed by fans. Yeah, there's security over the years at VidCon just got crazier and crazier like that. But yeah, that's literally true. They will would escort you just around the side of a building um, in an Escalade because they don't want you like literally not allowed to just walk around. Like you, yeah. you would get in trouble. Or I, we would get in trouble for walking around because can, can I say something about security these, risk oh, about these Escalades for like the the 500 foot trips. Uh, that that's somehow managed to take a long time. Have either of you guys been in one that had entertainment, like when when they hired the physical entertainment? Yes. Which actually, now that I say it, sounds much worse than it is. Yeah, I was. Uh, this must have been a couple of years ago. <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh yeah, no, when, this when, is a couple of years ago. It makes it sound like Susan got hookers for YouTubers. <laughs> um, but no, you know, uh, these Escalades do take groups of people where they need to be and all of that. And one year they had people doing uh, like 
card tricks, you know, magic, uh, you know, they had magicians in some of them. And like, this is very cool. And if it's going to take 15 minutes, you're going to get entertained. But there was one uh, that I jumped in and it, it, I'm trying to see if there are people in chat who were, who I was with the night before that. I'll put it this way. It was one of those mornings where you, you just don't want a ton of loud noises. And the mm -hmm. entertainer that was in the back of this Escalade was a balloon, uh, balloon artist, right? Making balloon animals and things like that. And it was 12, 13, 15 minutes of just rubbery, horrible balloon squeaking, <laughs> like directly into my ears. And I'm thinking this is the worst decision that any event planner has ever made in the history of events. Like <laughs> entertainment, amazing. I love this idea. So cool with the card tricks. Balloon animals, God, I wanted to grab the wheel and just yank it into an overpass. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yes, I guess these Escalades have hurt, have hurt most of us very badly in one way or another. <laughs> they have. They have. They, they hurt me with the physical interaction just because I, I hate that. I hate, I don't want to have to <laughs> pretend to be interested in some goofball's card trick. <laughs> like literally one feet away from them in a car is horrible. It's like a nightmare for me. These are the most first world problems I've heard in my life. I know. I know. It's so that's why I've never brought it up before, but Matt brought it up. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I've never complained about it before because it's an absurd thing to complain about. And I never would otherwise. Well, but uh, I've yeah. never had a chance to. That's why I jumped at it. Like, I, I've never had an opportunity <laughs> to rage about this until right now. So I thought I will take the one shot I'm ever going to get at this. Yeah. I mean, VidCon Escalades clearly come up in my conversations all the time. I don't know what you guys are doing, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> before I forget, I, I have to point out how hilarious it is that your story is like the worst story ever to tell about how bullying affected your life because <laughs> like first of all like a bully got you pulled out of school which then i mean really directly led to you like finding your passion and creating this amazing business for yourself but then later in this podcast you went on to talk about how strangers bullying you in youtube comments like improved your ability to present yourself um, whether it was through talking or like, hey, your hair cut or your hair is awful. Cut that. <laughs> right. So it's it's so funny. And um, I don't know. I feel bad like pointing it out. But it's no. this like weird thing where it's like Austin, Austin, the autobiography of Austin Evans, how bullying really worked out for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the message to all the kids right now is that bullying changes lives, dot, 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 for the better. Uh, might need a couple more revisions on that one. That one might not yeah. pass. Um, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I mean it's, the way it, it, it's the way it worked out, right? I mean, look, I've been fortunate that like, none of this stuff was ever like it never affected me in any kind of majorly negative way i mean sure you might have your feelings hurt for a minute or obviously with the whole you know the the thing when i was still in elementary school that was a little bit of a bigger sort of thing as far as just changing the whole trajectory of my my life honestly but i don't know i'm just i've always just been a big fan of just trying to look for the positive side of things and trying to take what you can out of a maybe bad situation and try to turn that into some positive way. 
I've always kind of just been a little bit of like a more optimistic kind of person. So like for me, if I have something like that, I, I mean, to be fair, these are all things that happened many, many years ago. But like generally, I just try to find some positive outcome. And if I can like, I'm not going to be here and give you a defensive bullying. But if I were, I don't think most <laughs> bullying or even like I'll just take a, a step farther of like comments or whatever the case is. People don't usually make fun of you for no reason, right? It might not be a good reason. It might not be a reason you can change or whatever the case is. But usually even in the the negativity, there might be a nugget of of truth. There may be a nugget of something you can learn about yourself. And I think in the vast majority of cases, that's not the case and people are completely wrong. But every once in a while, when you know, the 150th comment of today makes fun of my haircut, it might give me a little bit of an idea that it might be time to cut my hair, right? So I, I don't want to say that this is necessarily the way that people should live their lives. But also, if you have a bunch of negativity coming towards you, if there's some positive spin that you can put on that, I think that can only be a good thing. Well, that's something that we've a, brought up quite a few times about the value. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, that Matt and I talk oh, about it? this. Yeah, we've yeah, talked about this then. a lot of people who who don't take the criticism. And, and and obviously we're not talking about like intractable attributes like, you know, what are you going to do if you're being made fun of because you're short or you're yeah. too tall or you're too skinny uh, or, or whatever. If there are things that you literally can't change, like that is a totally separate discussion we will put far away. However, if they are things that you can do something about, there is and, and what I was going to say that Matt and I, that we have talked about is that we have noticed that the people who tend to use that as fuel to, 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 to spin it, like you said, into a positive or make the most out of it or find the silver lining or whatever, that's the yeah. best you can do, I think, in that scenario. Is it not? Of course. I mean, look, I am very fortunate that that's just the way I've kind of always felt about things. And it just... I mean, it sounds really glossy and like smooth, you know, talking about it years later. Obviously, when you're in the moment, you don't feel like that. In the moment, you're not like, oh, well, he said this, so I'm going to be the world's greatest YouTuber to show him wrong. Like, oh, that's, you know, it's not a movie, right? I mean, it's obviously, it's 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 a lot bumpier. <laughs> but like, I, I do think there's something to the idea of like, everyone runs into adversity in their lives and in many cases, there's literally nothing you can do. And in those scenarios, obviously, that's super unfortunate. But if there's ever anything positive you can take from it, and I'll, I'll go even like one step further outside of just the, the bullying analogy, because I think I've spent way too much time trying to promote bullying. Um, it's just like you get <laughs> this like, is a bullying promotion podcast. That's our sponsor. Our sponsor is <laughs> bullying. <laughs> So if you could do the ad read at the end, that would no be problem. great. I got it. I got it. But <laughs> this is going horribly wrong. Um, but if, I, I take it a little outside that realm. If you think about uh, like YouTube, right? So if I think about the way I feel even today after all these years about how a video does when it does poorly, right? I, I think that's the same feeling, right? Of like, I check those analytics. I see it's doing well. We'll walk away for 15 minutes, look back, see the views have, you know, halved and, you know, the retentions come back bad. There's that pit in my stomach that has not changed since day one of making content. And I would love to be like, oh, like 
I'm not gonna swear on the podcast because I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. But like, I, I, there's, I always want to be like, <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe it. Like, I spent all this time. Whatever the case is, I thought this was gonna work. Whatever the case is, like, you want to have that sort of negative reaction. But for me, I always try to like get my head right, take a few minutes, whatever it is, you know, like, okay, you know what? This didn't work, whatever the case is. What went wrong? How do I do something to make sure this doesn't happen in the future? How do I just take this and turn it into some kind of positive? And how do I take that little screaming Austin in the back of my head and just put him back in his box and try to try to move on with things? Like, I just think there's a real value in life to be able to compartmentalize the things you can't change and not let them try to get to you. And the things that you do, the things that you're involved in, the things that people say to you or whatever the case is, Try to take something from that to improve the situation in the future and be very clear and honest with yourself that some things you've just got to let roll off and you forget about them and they they never enter your mind again. I think there's a real value in trying to work out that part of your brain to be able to kind of easily split these things. I, I, I hate to say this stuff because like it seems like I'm just like, oh, well, p- p- people are saying mean things to you. Just forget it. Like... I know that that's not the case, but like if there's any way that you can try to take these sort of negative things that happen and spin them positively in any way, I just find that that's been such a useful thing in my life to really cope and evolve and, and, and work through and work through things. I think that's really important. And I think it's important to, uh, to realize that this is just kind of how things work. And that's something that, that definitely seeps in with age a little bit, uh, where, where you just understand that there are a lot of things I don't like. There are a lot of people I don't like. There's some things that I really hate. You know, uh, there are some things that I don't take seriously. Um, you know, it, so like, I, I'm not a big sushi fan. I find this, I find sushi to be very expensive and not, not <laughs> worth it. I don't like the taste of it. I hate sushi for the most part. Right. <laughs> Why? That's just, that's just me there I'm going to be the thing people hate sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, if I don't like things or, uh, something doesn't appeal to me, if I think that haircut is stupid, well, my haircut's going to be stupid uh, to somebody too. That's just the way it works. And everybody has this long list of likes and dislikes, and you're just going to be on the dislike list sometimes. Um, yeah, it, there's no way around that. And in the same way that that, that you react to everything around you, everybody's reacting to you. And so it's a healthy, normal thing and it doesn't feel good. I mean, nobody should really fist pump it. Actually, I, I do know a couple people who do that, who thrive on criticism and hatred in a way that really colors how they do things. And, and one of them in particular, uh, I would say that this guy goes out of his way to draw it. And I think it creates kind of a perverse perverse relationship with his work, right? Like that's, that's not a good thing. You shouldn't do that either. Um, but, uh, but you can just accept it. You know, you can just, uh, understand that it's how everybody works and that's really not a problem. It's, it doesn't feel good, but if you can take the, the little bits of value out, whether it's, uh, finding something that people complain about, maybe it's as simple as, I'm going to film my video a little bit differently so it doesn't focus on that thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to eliminate the little trigger that that catches people up. Um, you know, that's a perfectly normal way to use a very critical comment to your advantage without really personalizing it. So 
I think that actually that sort of opens up a whole can of worms in my head because so if I step back to before YouTube, so one of the main things that was really my passion and especially in the, on the creativity side was writing. That was something I loved to do. I was very influenced mm-hmm. by a lot of the 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 books I read as a kid, like I mean things like of course like Harry Potter and series like Lemony Snicket and like a lot of these things really colored my sort of early teenage years. Actually, I guess even before that, huh? Oh, I'm old. Um, but when I think about the creative process of those early days, I would write stories first in notebooks, then on you know on computers. But I, I would write stories and maybe share it with a person or two I knew, and that was it. Right? That was the extent of any kind of creative feedback I got. That was the extent of any sort of exterior thing. Like it was almost like I was writing for myself, and that was it. And Look, those were it was fun and I appreciated that. But one of the things that immediately drew me to YouTube from second one of creating content was posting something and getting immediate feedback. Even in those early days where I would get two comments, right? Those two comments would be like, that's more than I've gotten on everything I've written the last six months, you know? And so yeah. to me, I think that was one of the reasons why I latched onto YouTube so hard. Not because I started out and got 50 billion views or clearly it was nowhere near that, but it was <laughs> one of those things where it, sort of scratched that itch in my brain of creating something that was creative, that fulfilled me and that I could get instant feedback on. And then, you know, six hours later, I crank another video out and I change the thing that this person complained about. Right. That's a very, very simplified version of it. But I, I think that's a way that for me, it was super valuable in the way that transitioning from writing to, to video really kind of opened my eyes to I know we've talked about that in the past in different ways, whether it was writing or music or whatever. Uh, those those veterans of life like Kevin and I who were around in the 1990s, if you, <laughs> if you recorded a song or wrote a thing, there was no way for anybody to see it and give you any kind of feedback. It was like it's even it's, it's hard to describe that to somebody now because anything you do. Uh, that's creative you could put on and blast it to some number of people whether it's friends and family on facebook or you're dropping it in replies on twitter like people are going to see this there was no way to do that in 1997 okay there just Mm. wasn't and it was extremely frustrating to have no sense of how anybody anybody at all processed that thing that you made and what you just described is perfect you could pop a video up, get a couple comments on it, and then instantly use those in the very next thing you made that night, the next day. This is such a tremendous asset <laughs> that did not exist yeah. a while ago. Uh, and I can't imagine, I can't imagine what it was like. Uh, well, you needed a network of people. You needed, you needed a, a trusted, reliable, uh, frequent network of people to show your stuff to and to see theirs. And how many people had that, you know, that kind of thing is possible in a city. But if you're not in a city, like, I don't know where, where you were at in Missouri, but Kevin and I were in a place with very, very few people. What were we going to do? There's no way to do it. There's no, hardly any way to do it now if I needed to do it offline. Uh, So, you know, it's a major asset and you can use that asset or you can be scared of it. Right. Those are really the two options. And using it to your advantage is is probably the superior one. Yeah, I feel so old. This this conversation is like the kids these days. They have no idea. 
Oh, welcome to the create unknown, Austin. That's that's the is half of this podcast. You just outed yourself as as never having listened to an episode before. Never yeah. in my life. Exactly. Why would I listen to a podcast yeah. of old people? That sounds crazy. I'm hip right. to the kids. I, I, I spend yeah, all my talking, time on TikTok. Making uh making yard birds references and uh forgetting about Linus tech tips. Um wait, one thing that popped into my head as you were talking about do you think part of being a successful youtuber is being kind of obsessed with that iterative process of putting things out getting the feedback trying to make the next one better it, like that game that internal game that you play um without that it seems like it's hard to be successful at this it's tough i it's hard to get in other people's heads i i can certainly say the most creative and the most successful people that I know well, a lot of them have that attribute. I know a lot of people are very focused on, yeah, that iterative process. I don't think that's necessarily the case for everyone, though. I think some people, they get different things out of creating, right? I know some fairly large creators who do this as a job, and there's not a ton of that passion there. I don't think that those people are the majority, I do think a lot of people, The I'd say the vast majority of content creators are passionate about what they do, but people just approach things in different ways, right? It's not like we're in the Wild West days of, you know, making, you know, like machinima or whatever the case is. I mean, like this is, these are established things. There are formulas, there are, there are strategies. You can create a channel and, you know, within a year or whatever, you can turn it into a money-making business, right? Like I know that there it's much more strategic than it used to be where everyone was just making randomness and sometimes it stuck and sometimes it didn't. But I, I definitely think when I consider the people who I know that are just good at what they do and, you know, they've kind of mastered their art, every single one of them are very focused on that process, at least at some point. I know some people have certainly kind of hit that plateau and they just know how to do it and they just crank it out and it's just sort of second nature or at least it from the outside looks like like second nature but yeah I, I think it's an important thing it's definitely the way i always feel i mean every video if it does great i feel awesome i'm in a great mood if it tanks i'm pushing the screaming austin down even farther to, i'm just drowning him like, i don't need to hear it you know like that, I, that, that that's always the way i've been it just if to me, if I'm posting content and I don't care, something is very wrong. That that's that's a very bad thing for me. It's sort of mm -hmm. I'm attached to it, and and if it, I can't I can't detach myself. It feels to me like I would just be checking out at that point. And if I'm checking out, one of mm -hmm. these kids is going to come up and and you know destroy my channel and completely do it all better. I, I have to. I feel like I have to constantly be kind of pushing and pushing myself and pushing everyone around me to try to make better and more unique content or find new new expansion or whatever the case is. We've got to constantly be moving because people are chasing you at all times. So how did Linus's video about him thinking about retiring resonate with you? Because it resonated with me on, on some levels where mm. I could totally see where he was coming from when he was discussing. Uh, if you haven't seen it, um, if you yeah. just YouTube, Linus Tech Tips, I'm think, I think it's just I'm thinking about retiring. It's an extremely candid vlog from Linus talking about his own internal struggles between uh, spending time with his family, uh, not spending time with his family, and his obsession with work and his obsession with constantly making things. What were your thoughts when that came out, when you watched that? 
I wasn't that surprised. I've had a lot of conversations with Linus over the years, and many of them have kind of had a similar kind of, maybe not quite to that degree, but I mean, I, I don't think it's something that most people don't talk about, but I think a lot of us think about. I mean, look, I am not going to delude myself and think that I'm going to be hip with the kids playing Fortnite in 20 years. I'm not hip with the kids playing Fortnite today, right? Like, I, I understand that sort of everyone has a shelf life. Everything has a shelf life. And it's about what you can do in the time that you're given or the time that you can take. And so, yeah, I mean, look, I think in the early days, it seemed like this would either go on forever or come to a spectacular crash and burn. That was always the way I thought about this, right? I mean, in the early days, I remember everyone talking about like, oh, they someone clicked on my ads too many times. My AdSense disappeared, the end, game over, right? Or people who would just crank out stuff forever and just be like, yep, this is just what I do, the end. Like, I'm not going to give it any more thought. Like, I know that this is going to be my life. And so I thought like that for a while. But I mean, as soon as I started expanding and turning this into a real business, I, I'm not going to say I started planning my end game or anything like that. But I knew that I was laying the foundation for a world in which I did not create videos 60 hours a week for the rest of my life, you know? And so I don't think I am anywhere near to the level uh, Linus is or is approaching as far as you know, obviously all the family commitments and everything. But I see in a lot of ways, I see a similar future for me. I appreciate the candor that Linus sort of has given on that and uh, I, I can't say enough nice things about Linus. I like legitimately, there are a few people who I would like call mentors in my, in my life. I think Linus is absolutely one of them. I really have modeled so much of what I do after him. Um, and Lou, Lou from Unbox Therapy. I mean, I, especially in those early days, like 2013, 2014, 2015, like I used to have a lot of like deep, deep chats with Lou. And I mean, like I, I used to look forward to hanging out with him. So like, oh, you know what? I'm sitting down tonight. I'm going to get some of this Lou magic. And then, you know, I'm going to be fired up for the next three months thinking about whatever he's on about, right? Like, to me, I think a lot of those things have always been really, really motivating to me. But yeah, no, I, look, we all got to plan an end game at some point. I mean, I might not have the exact thing sketched out, but I know that if you're doing it by yourself forever and then you want to stop, guess what? it stops. There's no continuing that. There's no passing it on. There's no giving someone else the Austin Evans channel. So, oh, hey, just, uh, make videos for me, whatever. It does not work like that. <laughs> You'd have to have a, a child, name that child Austin <laughs> Evans Jr. I mean, that's how this used to work, Austin. That's why like somebody's last name was Baker is because they they were the, the town baker and they'd have <laughs> They're baking offspring. <laughs> you know, yes. maybe you're. We should just go back to those days, and you know, I don't. You'll be imagine. Austin YouTuber. I'll be Kevin YouTuber. Just, that would be such a trip of an experiment of someone who was a successful YouTuber, and they raise a channel, they raise their kids, and they bring their kids in the video, and then it goes on for long enough that the kid just takes over. Like, imagine, like I, I can't wrap my head around a channel having that kind of longevity. But imagine if that was the case. Imagine if this thing was like. You're building a YouTube channel for the next generations. That's wild to me. There's no way that would ever happen. Dude. No way. What about what's inside? You know, Dan and Lincoln. And then uh, if anybody watches what's inside, you know, it's a channel where they cut things open and you, you see what's inside. But it's a father-son. They run the channel. What if Lincoln grows up, has a son of his own, next generation of what's inside? It's possible. I think it the is. groundwork is being laid as we speak and we don't know it. <laughs> oh man it's weird it's like 
it's easy to forget, especially I think for for kids who are coming up today, it's easy to forget how little time YouTube and, and all these things have been around, right? I mean, I think about companies like Rooster Teeth, who, I mean, absolute OGs, right? I mean, they pioneered so much of what we do, even before YouTube existed, right? And to think about the arc of people's careers and, and companies and stuff, it's just, it's all so short. We don't have you know, I mean, you look at TV and there are people who have been hosting shows for decades, right? There, There's so much history there and so many things have been worked out. But like on the online space, I mean, 12 years is nothing in the grand scheme of things, right? And it's, I think about how much things have changed in the time that I've been been creating content. And it's, and it's wild. And it's so hard for me. I mean, I think that the vast majority of those, that massive change is done. And it's sort of, we're in a more stable period now, but 12 years from now, and when TikTok has bought YouTube, who knows where we live? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The changes themselves are so incremental that it's almost like nothing is happening. But when you think what things used to be like four or five years ago, it's all completely different. You know, I was thinking about this with Keemstar the other day because a bunch of people I know are, you know, some friends with Keem and other enemies of perpetually blocked people by Keem. And, uh, you know, so they they will pull up stuff of his from years ago, uh, some to <laughs> celebrate it and others to make fun of it. Uh, but every time this happens, it shows the interface on YouTube. It, it shows what streaming looked like and what the chat looked like on the side. The site used to look really janky. It was terrible. It was just blocky and awful, like a uh, like an odd, odd uh, um, AOL instant messenger kind of feel to it. You know, it was like YouTube Minecraft with chat. You know, it really was odd. But that wasn't that long ago. And I don't remember when it became what it is now. Like, I don't recall a, a switch being flipped in terms of the, the user interface that is what it is now. But obviously it changed. It just happened little feature by little feature. And all of a sudden you have something completely and totally different. It's like that, uh, the ship of Theseus paradox, mm -hmm. you know, if you replace one board of the ship and you do this over and over, uh, you've rebuilt the ship. Do you have the same ship? Well, that's what YouTube is like for us. We keep getting these brand new ships where everything is completely replaced but we really didn't see it coming because it happened little piece by piece. Uh, so when you think day by day, nothing has changed. When you think about YouTube from five years ago or 10 years ago, it's it's like thinking back to different centuries. It's I think it's different now, right? I, I think the way that the platform evolves is different because I remember when they used to make big changes, they removed the the five-star rating system for likes. I remember when they completely redesigned the video page yeah. so that, you know, the link was below you instead of beside you. They used to make those big changes, but people used to be so upset by every every little thing they changed <laughs> that I think they've, today, I think they evolve it. They don't make these big changes all at once. They kind of, like you said, they sneak up on you. There's a little bit here, a little bit there. Oh, this thing moved, this thing moved. And before you know it, you don't even realize it, right? But I think it's the same way when you think about the way that the algorithm works too, right? I mean, it's it's like its own sort of self-aware thing at this point where it will kind of blow as the winds kind of, wait, what has, what's the phrase? It, it, it goes as the winds go, it blows, whatever. It It's one of those things where it evolves 
all the time. It right? does blow. I agree with you. It blows. <laughs> it just blows. It just blows. <laughs> it blows. But it's like it, what works today doesn't work tomorrow. And I think that that might be maybe, okay, a little bit of an over, oversimplification, but it, I think comes back to what we were speaking about earlier about constantly evolving because what works today, the things I look for, the metrics I look for to make a video successful today are very different than what I used to do three months ago, even, or six months ago or 12 months ago, right? Like it's constantly evolving. And I feel like the most Which difficult part of my job. What, what, what works today? What works today, Austin, oh. that didn't work three months ago? So I think one of the main things I look for is the difference between the retention and the click-through, right? I think that the, the battle of what influences not only the impressions that you are given, but also what sort of helps the videos push out to, to wider audiences. I've been really deep the last mm. few months on the idea of specialization versus generalization on YouTube about channels that hyper-focus on one very specific niche and blow up, right? And I've got a lot of data to, to look at this kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see a channel that every video gets more impressions than the last, right? You go from zero to just constant growth. That's not something that I've ever seen on YouTube in the past. And I think that there's a real market for creating content for a very specific audience and being very, very specific on how you try to build something. But that being said, that to what I've seen, that kind of stuff only works for new channels. Because like the, again, the Glozell example is a great one because you can't drag an old audience into a new genre or category. You can create a new channel and shout it out and whatever you want to do and that'll that'll work. But there's, I think, a real shift in the way that things work in that if you can create a channel, right? Let's, let's call it the unknown creator channel. You can create a channel and you hyper-focus on one thing and you're able to grow it consistently, you have a ton of advantage in doing that because you don't have the baggage of an old audience who's upset that you used to do the known creator and they hate it. But on the flip side, I really have major doubts about the longevity of these super specialized channels because people are really excited and it's new and it's fresh and it's shiny and maybe you'll get a ton of views now. But if you don't manage it very carefully, it will wither and die. So that's, I think, an example of where my head's been at a lot lately as far as the difference in a the multiple channel sort of approach and how you sort of tailor your content that seems to have shifted, uh, you know, I would say within the last six months or so, of at least from what I've seen, as far as how channels grow and how the algorithm propagates new ideas and, and new types of content. So the... Uh, last week we spoke with many kudos who mentioned a channel where this guy reviews MREs, which mm, are like yeah. those old military <laughs> foods. And that is the first thing that I thought of when you said like hyper specific niche. That's all this guy does. He gets old MREs. He opens them. He talks about the, like the wrappers and whatever. And he eats the thing. I also remember a few years ago, uh, the trend of like 1000 degree knife. Yep cuts through a bowling shoe or whatever it was um or the what was the other one hydraulic press yep. crushing a right. bowling ball yeah. i don't know why the objects are always bowling related but that does seem to be the <laughs> thing that can blow up really quickly or or dropping thing off dropping th like thing off of building onto frozen trampoline <laughs> and after six months of that 
Yeah. How many more things can you watch get dropped off a building onto a trampoline? I think you, I think you, yeah. you kind of reach a saturation like the, point at some point. <laughs> those are like the fidget spinners of content. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think there's a little bit of a distinction between that kind of stuff and what we're sort of seeing now, though, because I can like viral challenges have always existed, have always kind of popped off and, and weathered just as fast. But I think there's a difference between that and the way that the algorithm treats sort of that hyper-focused content that might not be viral, but I think the MRE channel is a great example of that. And that if you are interested in that and you're interested in survival food or whatever the case is, you're almost definitely going to get that as that channel starts to grow. YouTube is going to find you and they're going to serve you that video, right? And if you're interested in it, you're going to see it. And I think something that's easy to forget, I think all creators think about their audience, their people, the people who watch the channel. Like that's such an ingrained concept. But the thing is, the vast majority of viewers on YouTube watch one of your videos ever or two videos or three, or they watch one every three months or six months, right? I think it's easy to think that you have that core fan base and these are the people who watch your content. But the people who comment on your video are a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the actual audience who views. And I think it's a very large mistake to equate that person with the person, the, the, the overall audience. Because of course your hardcore fans are incredibly important, but you can't overstate that the 0.01% of people who comment are the overall audience. So I do think there's something to the idea that because, at least from a lot of the channels that I work with on the data I see and specifically on the main channel I see a lot, is that people on average watch, you know, a couple videos a month, right? And so that's why you see these huge swings between when I do a PlayStation video and an iPhone video. Everyone cares about the PlayStation. No one cares about an iPhone 12 mini, right? But there are other reasons to create that content. So I don't know. I just... The algorithm is something that I just, it's the key to everything in a weird way. And it, like, it's just, it, I'm constantly obsessed with it. And I'm constantly obsessed with the way that it changes and evolves and just trying to be not even ahead of the game, just trying not to get buried by that wave that feels like it's constantly behind. I don't know, I don't know if you feel like that, but it's just to me, yeah. that's always the way it feels. You've got to constantly push yes. and push. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I could talk about and the algorithm all day. By the way, YouTube is down thing. now. This what? is a, the chat is is boiling. Twitter is is exploding. Oh. YouTube is down. Uh, right. I don't know why or what's happening or how serious it is. Um, I did see stupid tube in one of the chats. I checked to see if stupidtube.com has been registered. What it is now? Ooh. It exists. It's for sale. There's nothing on it. But YouTube is down right now. So everybody's freaking out. Um, gives you time to <laughs> if you've got a channel you have a few spare minutes to I'm think looking, about how you can stay relevant in the algorithm i'm looking at my real time right now and anything? i'm getting about 10 percent the views that i was 27 minutes ago so yep uh well wonderful a great analogy go. about how everything <laughs> in the creator space is fleeting take what you can while you can <laughs> it seems strangely appropriate. <laughs> this is just the it's next amazing. level of the algorithm. It just shuts itself off. It's become too self-aware. That's true. <laughs> Why am I serving cat videos? I'm over it. It's not 2007 anymore. <laughs> uh, the what I was going to say earlier was the click-through rate and the retention is the exact are the exact same two things that Matt and I have been thinking about for months now. Yeah. Um, it used to be watch time. It's not anymore. 
I think it's it's all about those two things these days. Yeah. Um, but the difference between how they influence each other is so hard to pen down. And it's so it's like it's such a it's such a loop because generally the way I see it is high retention equals more impressions, but you don't get those impressions if your click through is low. But on the flip side, if you have high click through, sometimes and a lot of times that overwrites or overrides the maybe low retention, but oftentimes you're still working with fewer impressions. So that calculus of trying to push and pull on the different sides to you know make a video snappier, keeping people engaged, making it more clicky versus keeping people on board for longer, that sort of balance, I think, is something that is always being pushed back and forth of like, oh, I need my seven and a half minutes of retention. Oh, I need my five minutes of retention. Oh, I need my 10% click through. Oh, wait, no, no. I need my 13% click through. Like whatever the case is, these are, these are the things I think are like on like the big scale. It doesn't feel like YouTube has made any major changes in the last couple of years since they really introduced like the click through metric. But in the sort of the more micro level of sort of the difference between six minutes and seven minutes of retention, how that impacts my impressions is something that I feel like is constantly shifting back and forth and even shifts, of course, based on the type of content you make and, you know, whatever your sort of SEO boost is from search or whatever happens to kind of push it up or whatever your external traffic is. But that's, yeah, I think that's really where I see the the major shifts is just kind of, it's constantly being tugged in one way or another. And it's hard to pin down where it is and what you should be focusing on. Because it's like, you create different content based on what is going to work, right? I will make a very different video if I'm going for high click-through and four minutes of watch time versus I'm trying to get eight, nine minutes of retention and uh, the mm-hmm. click-through is less important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I went went so far as as recently... Uh, going really hard on end rolls, thinking mm-hmm. like, well, I want people to stay on my channel. So I'm going to create um, an end card to tell people to stay on Vsauce 2 and watch these videos. And I swear within two months, I was like, that extra 20 seconds at the end that people are just clicking off on is, you know, lowering the average viewer retention by 10% mm-hmm. uh, overall. And that's probably a lot worse than that minuscule amount of people i don't know but that's that like you mentioned the the calculus games that you play mm-hmm. it's kind of an endless uh thing you can drive yourself a little bit crazy on yeah. um which levers to pull and which which is which levers to push and which dials to turn and which it's a fun puzzle though dials to it feels great when you get off. it right it feels great when you get it right you know i mean especially when you see like it sometimes feels like there are infinite views there, right? Like if you open the tap wide enough, if you figure out the code to doing it, I mean, you just, uh, how many videos do you see that randomly get 50 million views, right? I mean, it's just, it's not common, but it happens. There are channels with no subscribers that get huge videos, right? It's like, what do you need to do to get the algorithm's blessing? And I think it's easy to get way in the trenches and get tunnel vision and just focus on the analytics and focus on what you think will do well and copy what others are doing. But I do think at the end of the day, you need to make good content. No matter what tricks and gimmicks you try to get, you've got to make good content, right? I think that is the, the, the cornerstone but the thing is, a lot of people make good content. So it's about what do you do to be that one yeah. step above, I don't want to say the noise, but like one step above what the algorithm just treats of as, oh, it's boiled down to a few analytics. You're low on this. See ya. Bye. I'm going to go give this impression to that next Jake Paul video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I have two questions for you, and then we're going to go to our our, our listeners who are, are with us. Uh, if you want to join us for our, our recordings live, just go to patreon.com slash the create unknown and become a patron and you can hang out with us and you can ask questions. But okay, the first one is, and this just came into my head because you were talking about, you know, how do you make a great video? And instantly I was like, well, take out you know, like a second mortgage or take out like a huge loan and then, you know, pay some people, a group of people, like a hundred grand to do something, you know, some sort of like Mr. Beast <laughs> kind of, kind of video. Um, and Matt brought this up just in passing like a week or two ago. And I thought it was so funny. And that's this concept of like, kind of like evil Mr. Beast mm. where like, if, <laughs> like if you just go have, on, go on. I forgot about okay, this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like, here's, here's the evil Mr. Beast, <laughs> the evil Mr. Beast concept is Rather than paying people a ton of money to do something like goofy, like, or like, you know, stand in a circle for as long as you can or whatever, you could come up with any number of scenarios, uh, you know, dangerous or not dangerous or legal or not legal to, to, uh, you know, have people fighting over this hundred grand <laughs> that, the yeah, the, the reason it came up is because we were talking about two people who, uh, who, I, you know, it's not that I dislike them, but, you know, a little, little bit annoying to me. And I thought if I had shocking amounts of money, and I mean shocking amounts to where uh, something like $10 million is a rounding error, I truly would not care about $10 million. Um, I would do something like take these two people and put them in a room for a live stream, a small room too. So like, Smaller than the average low-end hotel room. So we're talking like eh, maybe 200 square feet. Like a hotel room in Vegas is like 350 square feet for the most part. That includes the bathroom, right? So we're going to put them in a 200 square foot little room. A lot of cameras, a lot of good mics. They have 24 hours. They can't sleep. If, if one of them begins to sleep, you know, we blow the air horn. So we're going to get 24 hours of content out of them. And they just have to be together. And they, this came about because we know they would not be compatible, these two people. So for this, it's something like 10, 20, $50 million that goes to a children's hospital, that goes to a charity that there's no way these people could turn it down. You would be the biggest ass in the world <laughs> to say, oh, I, I'm not going to do this kind of uncomfortable thing, this mild, mildly inconvenient thing uh, and deprive this charity of $50 million. They would be forced to say yes. I would get the live stream of a lifetime. I would force them into these terrible, awful positions as an evil Mr. Beast. Is it really evil, though, <laughs> if you're giving money to a children's hospital? That's not evil enough. I, I, well, I think you had to like step up the evil there's stakes. There's a moral calculus. See, no, the, the good part's there. I think that's necessary to compel them to do it. You have to do something so uh, acceptable, so good that they cannot say no to your awful, awful request. You know, like if I if I said, oh, uh, Kevin, can you make out with your mother for 60 seconds? He's not going to want to do this. <laughs> but if I say take one for the team. You're going to save children's lives. You're going to cure cancer with a 60 second makeout session with your own mother. They're going to, they're going to bite the bullet and do this. So Wait, Kevin, I need, I need a confirmation. Is this, is this, is this true? Are you going to do this or you can take one for the team? For, for, for a $50 million donation. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, we'll do that. You I would say do. yes to that for fifty yeah. million, wouldn't you? You would not have a choice. I'm pretty sure. Um, just to bring him up again, Jake or Logan Paul did that for free anyway. So, <laughs> oh, <God>. didn't they? <laughs> I'm pretty I, sure there was somebody who mm. who kissed their mom or and like took her on I'd a date. Say, yeah, one of them wasn't it? Clickbait's wasn't that a powerful it? thing, my friends. Yeah, yeah. So I don't even think you need the fifty million bucks. <laughs> Just give me that. Give me that sweet click through. That's all I need. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, I, I don't even know if I had a question there. I just really thought of it and wanted to bring it up. Um, yeah, not to put you on the spot I'm, of like what your evil Mr. Beast video would be, say, but I don't know. I've lost completely the the thread. I am now. My head's in a very different space right now. I'm running numbers. I'm like, eh, this is gonna be worth it, but I think it will be. Eh. Uh, uh, we're going down a bad road. Yeah, but you're coming okay. up with scenarios, aren't you? YouTube's down, so none of these bad ideas will ever happen. It's over. That's we're right. just gonna move on. That's right. And you said, Kevin, that you had a second, you had, you had oh, two questions. Yes. The second question is, what do you do with all the stuff that you make videos on? You must have, because look, man, I have a, a paltry amount of stuff that gets sent to me just for brand integrations or swag or whatever, a paltry amount. And that paltry amount is like ruinous to me because I just can't wait, wait to get rid of it, get it out of my closets, just sell it, put it on eBay, whatever. You must have like a farmer's grain silo full of like PC parts. Am I wrong? <laughs> well, it's not a grain silo. It's a rice silo. So it's a little bit smaller. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, of course we've got stuff. Um, it's, I don't know. I mean, we have storage. We use a lot of the stuff in the, in the future. Um, a lot of it does get sent back to companies. So while some is stuff that we purchase, um, a lot of it gets sent back. A lot of it gets given to people or loaned out or whatever. Like it's, it's one of those things where like having a lot of access to this stuff is nice, but no one needs four GTX 3080s. Right. And I mean, it's like one of those things where if you're able to get your hands on it, you know that you can use it in the future. We'll keep it around. But if we don't, we'll get rid of it in some way or we'll put it in storage for some future project. So, I mean, yeah, we certainly get our hands on a lot of stuff, but you might be surprised at how much of it we actually do used on a semi-regular basis, right? Where it's just like, you know what? Mm -hmm. That 2012 MacBook Air might do a 10-year-later comparison on it or something. Let's let's put that in the on, on, on ice for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I asked Lou uh, from Unbox Therapy the same question years ago. This was years ago. And uh, he was like, dude, you know, for the first while I was doing my channel, I would just give the, a lot of this stuff away to my friends. And then it got to a point where my friends were like, I don't need like a seventh iPhone, <laughs> dude, like you keep it. I don't want it. So he just said it just pile. It just started piling up and he has like a, a warehouse or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it just, I, I realized it becomes a full-time job at that point, just managing the inventory. Mm -hmm. It's like your, your, it's like your, your own circuit city. I, uh, Circuit City, another boomer reference because it's been out of business for a long time. <laughs> it's your your own Best Buy. <laughs> I think Amazon is what's cool now. I don't know this Best uh, Buy. Yeah, I don't know what you're speaking of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know I know people who have inventory managers for their stuff. Um, I mean, we don't have that. I don't keep it to be fair as organized uh, as I probably should. But I mean, I don't know. It's 
it sounds really selfish because every other email, Instagram message, tweet is people asking for stuff. Hey, I saw you broke that PlayStation. Can I have it? Oh, I'm going to school. Can I have this PC? It's like, look, I feel, I mean, I used to be there. I remember when I was a teenager, my, my, uh, my uncle had a laptop. I remember he came over for Christmas one year and he's just doing some work on his laptop. And I was just staring at it. I'd be like, imagine I had a portable computer. Like it was something that was like so outside of anything that I had access to or had any aspirations of, of being able to get. So I, I get it. You know, I get it that everyone wants that stuff. They see that we have so much, but the thing is it gets weird when people like, they start giving you these stories and it's like, okay, you send something to one person and another person. And it's like legitimately dozens and hundreds of people coming at you a day asking for stuff. Right. And it's just like, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is clearly not sustainable and it's not fair. If you get it and you don't get it because you gave me a better story. But it just, it gets yeah. super weird really fast. So that's one of those things that mm-hmm. I've, I know we have a lot. I know we're very fortunate, but, I try to donate and give away and to do things in a more sustainable way, I guess that would be the way I put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not Santa Claus. You say that. I literally just got off a call right before we started the podcast about a tech Santa concept that I'm trying to put together. So uh, in some ways, <laughs> we can make video out of it. We'll break some rules, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um. Well, let's go to um, let's go to our our patrons who are, are live with us. If they have some um, questions for you, Matt, we have a couple good ones, and and one of them is doubly timely. Okay, so uh, Monsieur Chinchilla asked, oh, right when we started, really, he had a question that turned into two questions. The first one is if you couldn't do tech anymore, you can't you can't review tech anymore. Your tech career is over. Nobody uh, wants you to do it, and you've been barred by law from doing it. Uh, what do you make content about? Ooh. If it's not tech, what would your thing be? That's a good question. I think I would try to make kids content. I Yeah? Like what kind? Like, so I don't want to call... There's a, there's a channel. I don't want to call them out. Uh, there's a channel who makes kid content, and I hate the way that this person creates that content. I don't, there, okay. I, have be, I have to be careful the way I phrase this. I strongly disagree with a lot of the way that they've gone about this. I just don't like the way that they do it. But also I see the obscene success of that kind of content. And the thing is, it's easy if you're like a grown adult to ignore kids YouTube. But if you see the numbers and the scale, I mean, it was just the other day, Baby Shark became the most popular, the most viewed video of all time on YouTube, beating out Despacito. And that's like not even an anomaly. I'd say three or four of the top 10 most viewed videos are all kids content. And while there's lots of issues and there's lots of of problems when it comes to creating kids content on YouTube and so many bad actors, it just, it it gets really sketchy. But that being said, that would be the way that I would approach it. That if I was to give up tech right now, I would take everything that I've learned about YouTube and the algorithm and try to really optimize something that would be a, a very new challenge, I think. It's not that I'm going to go dress up in a shark suit and sing lullabies to kids or anything, but it would be a very, 
it would be a very different challenge to see about trying to apply some of the things I've learned to a completely different vertical and see if it works. So the chat is going bonkers, by the way. They're going bonkers wanting you to name this channel. They're begging, oh, call it out and bleep it. No way. Uh, when we make Absolutely the edit. Absolutely not. No, look, if you watch, again, if you watch any kids YouTube, there are a, a lot of weird channels. There's a lot of animation-based channels. There are a lot of channels that are, uh, I mean, I'm going to say things I'm going to get in trouble for. There's a lot of channels that I think are a little questionable the way that they and I'm not even saying like inappropriately, but just like ethically, like the way that they take advantage of their kids. I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like yeah. your full-time job is, you know, exploiting your children. And I, that sounds way harsher than I think it really me I meant to come off. But like, you know, you're right though. There are some family channels yes. that really make you mm -hmm. wonder how is this going to play out yeah. for the child when that child is not a child anymore? Exactly. Uh, there's some people in some pretty dicey territory and it's not like they're abusing no. their kids in videos. It's not a, a terms of service violation scenario. It's an, is this healthy for everybody involved scenario? Yeah, and I mean, this is not a YouTube thing, right? I mean, there have been child actors forever, right? And I mean, there are many very successful people who started out as, you know, child stars in one way or another. And like, look, that's fine. But I think the difference is, is that there are laws to protect, you know, a child actor, right? I mean, I know that many years ago, there was a very famous case where this guy's parents, by the time he turned 18, had spent all his money and that was it. And that was like the beginning of how they right. kind of started making a lot of these changes. But very few of those protections exist online, certainly not in many of the countries where a lot of this kid's YouTube content is created. And I just think back to when I was a kid and if my parents saw me as a walking money bag and I had to be in front of the camera for six hours a day, I wouldn't have come out the same way. I wouldn't want to subject my children to something like that. So I say that I would love to get into kids' YouTube, but I do, do not mean is I want to get into that side of things. But yeah, it's just, I think it's one of those things that most people, most adults don't pay attention to, but the size and scope is so staggering that it just, to me, is just like, if I had like, you know, just blank slate time and you know some money to work on something like that would be something i would love to dive into just because it's such a nuts place and honestly a lot of the people who are successful there i don't think deserve to be successful and there's a lot of content which is just like just shockingly dumb that works really well and i know kids brains obviously work very <laughs> differently but like i just look at that and that whole space just seems so ripe for someone to like just come in there and just clean up so that's i don't know that's my that's my analytical nerd talk of I want to make a kid's channel, which I will definitely, definitely for the record, never do. But that's what I would do if everything disappeared tomorrow. Have you considered bullying those <laughs> those channels until they start doing it right? <laughs> it's the only way to improve them you know on what? a fast track. You know what? You got something there. You got something there. <laughs> what what <laughs> so what when you were talking about like cleaning up the it just reminded me of like an 80s action movie where you're like ch Charles Bronson or something like you're like walking into YouTube kids town and you're just going to clean up the, the joint I just love that image of you as this like desperado taking out the bad actors Oh man well, the second the second half of this question is, you know, you you were banned from tech mm -hmm. forever. Right. So then you went into kids yep. content. Uh, now you've been you've been banned from YouTube, which is 
which is fine because it's gone down yep. tonight and it's never, ever coming True. back. It's gone forever. Yeah, it's gone for both of you. And I know Kevin's talked about what he would do if YouTube was just yanked from uh, from the world. What would what would you do, Austin? What is your life like if tomorrow YouTube is is gone? Oh, I'm a full time TikToker. I mean, easy. Next question. Easy. No problem. No, uh, I think it's one of those things where in the early days, there were not a lot of alternatives to YouTube. I think while there's still no alternative to YouTube proper, I think I could if the YouTube site disappeared, I was banned, whatever the case is, I think I could actually still not only run a business, but also find uh, find success in other platforms like Facebook, like Instagram, like TikTok, and be okay. It certainly would suck if YouTube disappeared and I've been banned for my nefarious kids content. But uh, I feel very confident that the space has evolved to the point where YouTube is not the be all end all in my life. If you couldn't do media at all, what's your uh, non-media alternative? It's like you're like chopping my legs off every time I'm like, ah, I've got one. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, if media is gone. Oh, man. How, how broad are we talking media? Like no online content. Like I'm not allowed in the space at all. My restraining order is permanent. Yes. there's It's like an ankle ankle monitor, but it blocks all all bandwidth of any kind within like 50 feet. There's this radius that blocks you from being online. I'm going to run a McDonald's. <laughs> I hear the, the franchises are very lucrative. I'm going to do that. I'm just going to try to save the last of my, uh, my kids' YouTube money and buy a McDonald's and I'll live my days happy. <laughs> yeah. Ben, in, in, uh, ben saying in the chat that you know, he knows McDonald's manager. I, I, know, I know several, actually, and former ones, too. Um, you know, every single one has done quite well, uh, but uh, they look, they look back on it as, uh, as being very, very useful. Uh, I don't know how many of them miss it, but it was a good thing for their lives. I say lives. this as a person who has never worked one second of retail in my life. I know that this is something that would not, th- my opinion would be very different if I had that experience. I have no doubt. <laughs> I put my foot in my mouth regarding McDonald's years ago where I was making some analogy about uh, some website being generic. And the analogy was like a fine dining restaurant compared to a McDonald's. And the girl I was talking to, her family business is running McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she had, her family has like four McDonald's. And she was really mad that that's how I was framing McDonald's. I was like, oh, uh, well... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not totally kidding. anyway. That actually is a real business, right? Like the, the franchise side of things. Like, I think as yeah. time has gone on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I just felt bad because I was <laughs> I was totally denigrating like her family's <laughs> life work, essentially. Like all these people making YouTube my... videos. Why can't they get a real job? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> Slackers. So the next question that we have is partly answered. So Zach Attack 69 Nice. Asked about you working with a team. Okay. And what it was like, uh, compared to when you were doing everything by yourself. So you talked about that at, at decent length, uh, earlier on, but the second half of, of what he wrote is really interesting here. Um, what's it like trying to be creative and balancing what you were describing, uh, in terms of video selection, you know, they can't all 
be bangers. Sometimes you have reasons for doing less successful content. Sometimes it's to preserve a relationship. Sometimes you just want to for personal reasons. What's the, all of that like uh, when you have the weight of providing financially for other people on your team? That's an excellent question. You got to find a balance. That's really a good question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if I was making the stuff, I mean, if I can fulfill being a creative person in some way, the rest of it doesn't matter as much. I'll do whatever I need to do. But I, I do, I'm so much happier when I can find some way of being creative and sort of on my terms and sort of making the stuff that I'm excited about. Um, I mean, this is a really niche example. But uh, so yesterday, Apple announced they're completely switching all their chips to their own, right? So it's like completely new architecture, blah, blah, blah. Like, if that's something that I know I know that video is going to do bad. Like I am positive that's a nine of 10 or a 10 of 10. Like it's not going to do well, but it's something I care about. It's something I want to go and spend two days benchmarking and tearing that thing apart and understanding what makes it different and everything. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's tough because like every video feels like you're you're taking a shot. If you hit, you can hit big and it's great and everyone's happy and everyone gets a, you know, to pay their rent next month. But it also feels like you're never more than a few steps away from sliding down that slippery slope and and sort of watching those impressions dwindle and the views dry up. Like it it always feels like, again, it's just like right over your shoulder. And it's it's not a great feeling. But I think the way I've kind of made peace with it is. I don't think that's any different than every other business that has ever existed. I think it's easy to think that, oh, the algorithm this and the algorithm that. But like, look, if I'm, you know, uh, an AC repair, I'm running an AC repair business. Oh, no, it's really cold this year. No one needs a new AC. Like whatever the case is, like there's always something there to be concerned about. And as a business owner, you know, whether you're running a channel that has 100 subscribers or, you know, you've got 100 million or whatever, you always have some kind of of stress. So for me, it's just like, I got to do what I got to do to keep the business running, to keep expanding. And along the way, I want to find as many things that get me excited and, and feel creatively fulfilled as possible. Yeah. And you're right that there's always something. And anytime, uh, like a, a generic retailer or somebody who makes something, if they want to expand into something new, that's mm-hmm. a risk. So there are always risks that are parallel to experimenting with content or, or going with something that you just, you know, don't know how it's going to do that. That's present in virtually every single business of any mm-hmm. kind. Uh, Unless so, you're a McDonald's owner. Uh, it's just a question of the flavor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, the, I think a lot of people do like the franchise model because they don't have to make decisions about, about a lot of very basic yeah. things since they have to roll with, uh, with what's required in terms of menu and suppliers and all Look, that stuff. I don't stuff. care if it's the apocalypse, people are still going to want a Big Mac. So you're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, Isaac needs to know, needs to know when the Austin Evans underwear is coming. <laughs> okay. So I guess for context, Linus has a massive merch brand and one of his many fine products that he purveys are a set of LTT underwear. Um, yeah, I'll get back to you on that one. Merch is a thing that I've always been kind of held at arm's length. I know it's a huge component of, you know, I mean, in the early days of of online creation, I mean, that was the monetization, right? Like you made merch if you wanted to make any money at all. And obviously it's not quite so 
straightforward now, but still merch is a huge part of, I would say, the majority of sort of successful YouTube and, and sort of online creators. For me, because the content that I make is primarily focused around product, it's always felt a little bit odd to me to create my own. And I think that's more of a self-conscious thing than anything else. And I I think that next year may be the year that I actually do get into creating my own product. But I can 100% confirm that my first products will not be underwear related. So I think we're safe <laughs> on that one for now. I'm disappointed. I don't like it. I don't like your answer. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, as, as you were talking about it, I, I started to think, I started to dream up what you could do here. And do you know how, do you know how successful it would be if you sold pairs of tidy whities and on the front, it just said worth it? <laughs> this would be fantastic. Okay, you know what? I changed my mind. This is a business proposition. I cannot say no to. <laughs> <laughs> pretty amazing. Uh, James had James had a question here too uh, that that is about a little bit about some of the sponsor and product stuff that you talked about. Um, but he said that it, it's it's got to be easier in a way to make money from electronics reviews because uh, just the pipeline for sponsors is way better than something like video games, for example. You know, for most people, there are companies of all sizes that can send products and pay a little money to have a thing reviewed, all of this. So, uh, you know, compared to um, Kevin, who it, the sponsors are for Vsauce 2 are not always directly relevant to a video, right? So these are two different games mm -hmm. like this. Um do you think do you think tech is is just objectively easier yes. than other verticals? One hundred percent. Is there one? Is there anything better than tech? Kids, toys. That's uh, it's yeah, absolutely I so. right. I mean, you look at the amount of kids YouTubers who have their own lines of toys and merch, and I mean, you think that you know some sixteen year old kid who wants a PS five is watching my video wants to buy a PlayStation. You better believe one hundred percent of the three year olds who are watching a Ryan's toy review video are going to want to buy whatever it is, whether he's doing the Hot Wheel video or his own merch, whatever the case is. I think that's, uh, I, mean, I don't have numbers on this, but I would be shocked if the vast majority of sponsorships and I mean, even sponsorships, I'll take that back. I mean, even like selling your own merch or whatever, but like the amount of sort of product and, and, and integrations that are in that kid's YouTube space, I think would put everyone else to shame. But I do think tech is probably a distant second because, no, no, I'll take it back. Actually, I think beauty is above tech. I think it would go kid stuff, beauty, mm, yeah. tech, and then I don't know, even know what would be after that. But yeah, I, I think tech's up there though. And I think it's certainly easy for a small to medium-sized channel to get a lot more sponsors than significantly bigger channels in different verticals just because, like you said, there's so many tech companies and it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to, I mean, anyone can do an audible spot. But not everyone can do an LG phone review or, you know, whatever the case is. And I think that's where the tech space does have a pretty big advantage. So, yeah, I think there's like, like a multiplier. And like when you look at tech channels, as far as like the revenue they pulled in, just because they have such a brand friendly audience, not only just sort of with the direct sponsors, but also with ad rates and everything like that, because they're making videos on stuff that people are ready to pull the wallets out and purchase. And that is always real value to that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we have two more that are really quick. Uh, and then, and then it's, uh, Kevin's, 
Kevin's got Kevin's got a couple. Kevin's always got a, a one or two that that seem to round out and finish off these episodes. Dojangles though, Dojangles wants to know if you've pulled the Rainbow Charizard. Oh. Okay, so right before we started recording today, I ran over because I forgot my headphones into the other office. I have 20, wait, I have a large box full of Pokemon cards sitting on my desk right now. So ask me again tonight. I have not pulled one yet, though. Um, I almost, fun fact, I almost got in a fight the other night with someone over Pokemon cards, though. Um, So this is a wildly unfair example of capitalism gone wrong. Target had a very clear policy. They would sell you two packs per person and someone bought every pack on the shelf. And so when I confronted him about it, the they're like, oh, it's fine. He can just do it in separate transactions. So I watched a guy very angrily, I might add. I watched a guy do about 30 transactions to buy his boxes and sets of Pokemon cards right in front of me. So I'm just saying I will I will I will get deep into this. If I can't find creative fulfillment in creating content, I will find it in tracking down my Pokemon cards. <laughs> I feel like that's a moment where you could have uh, put them on blast and just made like this whole big, like uh crybaby yeah. like Twitter, Twitter thing, you know, tagging target or whatever and being like, excuse me. The policy clearly stated two cards per customer. However, this man in front of me who shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> Spent the better part of 20 minutes checking out 34 times to buy the entire box and my rainbow Charizard goes yet unrequited. Can I just say? And it would have blown up. Dude, you would have gotten so much attention for that. Like it was right there for you, right for the picking. Look at that. Would have been a viral tweet. I can't hate on someone who's about to flip those cards for like twice where he just bought them on eBay. But like, come on, he could have like left me a couple, right? Like a couple? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry what this happened to you. <laughs> I'll recover someday. It's it's fine. All right. Uh so yeah, this rolls into into the last one from uh a man who's a scholar and a gentleman. He's both. Uh he has a YouTube channel channel called Vsauce 3. Ah. Uh, his name is Jake Roper and he he says can Austin show his nipples? I only need one. I'm not greedy. Okay, well, that's a lie because this is the greediest person who I've ever met. Uh, Mr. Mr. Roper, if that's your, your real name, I knew for a fact that you already have a photo and you tweet it to me and you text it to me every birthday. So, uh, no, you cannot have another because I will see it for the rest of my life. But thank you, sir, for your comments. <laughs> and that's... That's the extent of the degeneracy that's come out of our live chat. <laughs> uh, amazing. All right. Well, then one one last piece of uh, de- degeneracy before uh, we let you go. What should I, what should I do? The uh, let's do the ad. Let's do the. Well, let's do both. Let's okay. do both. Let's do both. Forget it. Let's do both. <laughs> okay. I like you so much, Austin. We'll do both. All right. So we have two different questions that we end each episode with and i usually choose one or the other for a guest but we'll do both with you so we'll, we'll do the f- the first one is um just a a showcase for your creativity uh this episode needs a sponsor okay. we don't have a sponsor okay. you know we joked earlier that it was bullying but that was a very dark and cruel and horrible joke that's <laughs> bu- a great idea though <laughs> Um, Googling pro bullying organizations <laughs> now and seeing what their ad spend is like. 
uh, somehow the create unknown is going to come up first. Um, so oh, I just God, need I've to got results. Well, yeah, go on, but no, the yeah, I've got Google results. Like, like there are people who advocate for this. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Oh my gosh! All right, well, well, please do not contact them. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the meantime, Austin, just give us a, a an ad read for a sponsor for this episode. It can be anything that comes off the top of your okay. head. Uh, the the stage is Thank yours. You very much. This episode of the Create Unknown is brought to you by Unknown Creators. If you are a creator who needs some excellent, wonderful advice to be able to really bring your game to the next level, then you have not found the podcast you're looking for yet. However, if I can recommend another podcast, it would be anything else besides the Create Unknown, which is filled with old people talking about stuff like yeeting things off of your building and by trying to really get a good sense of what Pokemon cards are like. So if I could give a recommendation to you, please stop listening immediately because clearly it is only going downhill from here. So thank you very much to Unknown Creators for sponsoring this episode of The Create Unknown. I can't believe we're we, never having him back. I know. I can't believe we allowed a, a rival podcast to be our sponsor. What a bad business decision that was on our part. I was here for the Trojan horse the entire time. I know. Just snuck right in and then let out the long con. All the warriors. Um, all right. So real quick, the final the final question is this. Austin Evans, what is your fursona? My persona. No, no, no. Your fursona. So if you were a furry, okay. what would your fursona be? Uh, hmm. Hmm. I've got to say. Hmm. <laughs> Posturing this dramatic pause just so we don't think that the suit is in his yeah, closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, this is that overcompensation. Look, man, I, I got to hide my Gardevoir costume in the back. I don't want people to know about that. Oh, wait. We're, we're not. Uh, oh. <clears throat> Sorry. What was that? Uh, uh, I'd be a bear because bears are great. And that's the best answer I can come up with. <laughs> Do you what have kind of bear, though? Uh, a specific like a grizzly or something? Yeah. What kind a of bear? bear? What's your outfit like? Like, but, let's, uh, let's visualize this. No, bear. no, there's no outfit. But if it was there, it would be big and tall uh he would have big claws because bears are are sort of big and terrifying creatures and that's what i've always wanted to be in my life <laughs> really that's cool so the bear is like your spirit mm. animal mm. yeah i uh yeah i'm trying to come up with a good pun right now I and like i can't you, you i feel like you just named an animal that's not really answering the question i wasn't ready for my fursona Okay, I'm sorry to say that certain things are personal. No one okay? ever is. Certain things I like to keep close to the chest. I don't want to share some of these dark secrets with everyone. Sometimes I'm going to make up something like a bear, okay? Uh, look, look, I know we're friends, but we're not that close to friends. Like, we, we, we're, we're not quite there yet, my friend. <laughs> well, Chinchilla points out uh, Pokasona also works. Is there a Pokemon that you would? I think I. You would choose I already to be? outed myself on that one, so I'm just gonna plead the fifth, my friends. Yeah. What was the? What's Matt? What's the name? I feel like you would know this. What's the name of those winter hats that have the flaps that, like, um, you know, oh. in the in like Christmas vacation, Clark's. Uh, uh what what's yeah. his what's his like? Ben says this uh, Ushanka in in the chat and i think he's right about that but yeah dan dan yoshua also points out like that's been adapted to be kind of a trapping hat uh in the u.s but yeah the uh ushanka is is the the russian one that that's like hugely furry okay all right yeah, yeah. i had one but it was too warm 
Like it just, it, it didn't breathe at all, which I suppose you wouldn't want it to if it was like negative 30. Uh, but wow. I mean, it's like having a plastic bag over your head. It gets sweaty and hot. Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm picturing Austin's mm. uh, bear in is wearing an Ashunka. Nice. I think that would be a good hat for you. Yeah. Um, and then maybe some sort of clothing, uh, like homemade clothing. Okay. That's made out of like uh, keyboards mm. uh, and, and various mm. like, t- yes. <laughs> maybe like a keyboard toga. <laughs> I am going to, again, play the fifth on this one. Good. I just Good. needed to round out some sort of visual here before oh, we let you go. I say the visuals uh, are all mine. <laughs> um, well, Austin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, listeners, you know, check out Austin's channel. We didn't even get into the podcast uh, that you're doing. You have a podcast. What's your podcast called? The Test Drivers. So it's co-hosted by my good friend, Mike Hurley on Relay FM. And it's really an extension of a lot of the stuff that I don't have time to talk about on the YouTube channel, right? So we go deep onto foldable technology and game consoles and just everything that if you want to know about the deep dive and whatever tech that we're talking about, or maybe don't even have time to talk about on the main channel, that's absolutely what The Test Drivers is all about. Yeah, so check out the Test Drivers podcast. Um, Check out Austin's channel, even if you're not like a huge tech review person, because he does a lot of fun videos. It's like almost in a lot of ways kind of airs on the side of entertainment with buying mystery tech. And he kind of really we didn't even get into any of the stuff that he does. That's really more content-y than it is just dry review of like the refresh rate on a (laughs) smartphone so um just just because you're not interested in that kind of stuff doesn't mean you won't like his channel so check out his channel check out this is which is the second channel and um if you want to join us for our live podcast go to the go to patreon go to patreon.com slash the create unknown become a two dollar tot start there you know, enter, enter our world for two bucks. And then eventually you will, you will drink enough Kool-Aid that you'll advance. Uh, what, what is the, what are the theta, the theta levels of Scientology? <laughs> you'll become like, you know, theta, theta three, I think probably three months into the create unknown. Is that what it is? We can't tell them until they, until they officially sign on. By the way, we've unlocked uh, annual memberships too, because, you know, there's some people who are just kind of annoyed about the, uh, the monthly charges on things. They just want to get it done. And Patreon allows you to, to cut, you know, a percentage off an annual kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, it's basically 10 months instead of 12. So for the $2 tots, $20 and you're good for the year. You are all set with us for an entire calendar year, uh, which is baller. Uh, but yeah, the annual stuff is, uh, is unlocked, uh, to make it easier. Check that out too. Check it out. Check it all out. Check it all out. Thanks for hanging with us. And until next time, we will see you, Space Cowboys.